on maynard.com.au. AU! Well, it's a rainy, rainy day here, and I find myself at Darling Harbour. As you'll know, not one of my favourite places, people, because frankly, I thought it was better when it was a car park. People could drive to work, <laughs> park cheaply here all day, go to work and drive back. A simpler time, but I am a simpler person. Oh, as our wine arrives. Thank you, sir. Uh, thank you. <laughs> it's Fiona Patton. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Maynard. Do I have to say MLA, or there's a sort of initials after your name, because you are a member of the Upper House of Victoria? That's right. I've said to people that they don't need to call me your highness or even your majesty simply fiona will be fine you have had an uphill battle in your career as a politician as the sex party because people go oh, sex party snicker snicker <laughs> and now you've got the reason party because last time i checked no one could agree exactly what is reasonable in this country that's right i think what we possibly all can agree on is that we need more reason in this country and mm. we probably need more reason in parliament and maybe not so much sex in parliament mm. barnaby joyce looking at you that gets on to the other thing that you've always been big on which is hypocrisy. And I was reading in the book how he was giving you a hard time at one stage and then, well, look at pot calling the kettle. Hello. Exactly. And, and that seems to be so common, doesn't it? Thou mm. dost protest too much. And particularly in the religious circles, the ones that really hate the gays tend out to, well, they tend to like a bit of dick. That's right. Exactly. Yes. I'm not gay, but the guy I fuck is. <laughs> yeah. Right. And how do you go on doing the LBGTQI? Can you actually say that in one sentence? Yes. Go, go. LGBTIQ plus now, now, so you just put a plus at the end. Does that just include everyone else to stop adding more letters? What's the reason for that? I think we're going to come to, yes, we cannot add any more letters to that acronym. In fact, I tend to just call it my rainbow community or my rainbow yeah. family. Can you imagine in the Mardi Gras days when it was just the gay Mardi Gras and they went, oh, the gay and lesbian Mardi Gras. Okay, finished now. We'll never have to change it again. Well, well, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Maybe we don't need to be constantly self-identifying or... Do we need to identify who people want to have sex with at all? Or even what gender they want to identify as? I mean, I have never been asked by at a passport office or at an immigration to see my genitals. I mean, Maybe I, you have made up. Um, no, I haven't. I've offered. I've showed dick pics to them on my oh, phone. Still, no, they don't want to see it. They just wave me through a lot quicker. <laughs> yes, really. They're testing our fingerprints. They're testing our eye. They know so much more about us. Well, yes, because that's another thing that you're uh, wanting is, is with privacy too because we seem to be getting less and less when I would imagine that the government could have like 95% of the pixels and they've got a few missing, but they seem to want to want those extra pixels as well. If you're not doing anything wrong, you don't have anything to worry about is, oh. is the mantra. And which is say, well, why have you got curtains? Well, that's right. We are all entitled to a level of privacy and there's no reason why we should think that the government should be allowed to intrude on that, especially if we're not doing anything wrong. In your book, Sex, Drugs and the Electoral Roll, and I really like the cover there too, that's the Victorian Parliament, that's where everyone has a debate and put their drinks on. Is that correct? Mm. In the olden days, that was probably the port table. How many people do you reckon have had sex on that? Someone must have. Has anyone admitted to it? No one has admitted to it yet, but my head is hiding the Queen's chair. <laughs> Apparently, that is the one jailable offence. If you sit on the Queen's chair, let alone have sex on the Queen's chair, yeah. you could go to jail. When was the last time she or her representative sat on it? Can the Governor-General sit there? The Governor-General can sit there. She has sat on it in 2014 was the last time we had her there. Let's get back to some more official matters. Why didn't you get married under a fish tank to Rock Lobster by the B-52s? Why did that not happen? To me, that sounds like every person's dream, let alone every girl's dream, getting married under a fish tank. <laughs> was a brilliant idea and yeah. I thought it was a great reason to get married or to get engaged at that stage. You know, once the man had found out about our engagement, because 
Obviously, he hadn't been involved in some of the initial planning for it. So once he found out that we were getting engaged, it's interesting our relationship seemed to kind of dis- disappear. I'd still like to do it one day, but I'm not sure I want to ever get married. I found it interesting that your mother had reverse psychology going on there about you were going out with someone she didn't want you to go out with and didn't want to get engaged. So the reverse psychology, which is a risky thing to do because you are a person with a strong mind, you could have gone, well, that's it, I'm going to do it anyway. Explain to all the mothers out there that are trying to get their kids not to do something how the reverse psychology worked with you, as explained in your book. Well, it was a wonderful trick. Once she had heard about my drunken night of planning a wedding, and, and deciding to get engaged. So her immediate response to that was, oh, well, darling, this is wonderful. We must put an ad in all of the papers and let everyone know. And at that stage, I was still probably sobering up and was thinking, hmm, is this such a great idea? She then immediately bought me two ugly bedside lamps as a, an initial engagement gift. Also, started her own planning for the wedding, which she knew I would be very disappointed in. She did actually work quite miracles in this by fully endorsing what I was doing, which made me obviously rethink what on earth I was doing if, if she was so engaged in it. Another one of the arguments people always bring up, all oh, these people that are involved in the sex industry or interested in that kind of thing, they had come from a really weird, strange family. <laughs> your mum sounds like she knew what she was doing and your dad was one for showing you around the beach, natural wonders and things like that. I saw a photo of you and him on Father's Day. That's right. My dad was a naval officer. My mum was, was English. Oh, that's pretty weird. That is weird, actually. Yeah. It was a very traditional upbringing, really. As a lobbyist, how hard is it to get politicians' attention as a lobbyist when you're working for the adult industry? Do they think that money's dirty or don't want to come anywhere near you? How's it work? It was always a challenge. Having a woman at the front of that, I think, made that a lot easier. We would pique people's interest and we would try and do it. And we always tried to use humour in our negotiations and in our advocacy work for the adult industry. You know, I did always turn up with a brown paper bag. (laughs) Generally had Debbie Does Dallas in it or we would select films that we thought that that Member of Parliament might get a laugh out of. Something from the Buy Empire range. We did give Bruff, Minister for Aboriginal Affairs, we did give him Debbie Dunn's Dallas in 3D, which was one of the first 3D ones to come out. He was very pleased. It taught me a lot about advocacy and I think Mm. I've been able to take that into my role as a Member of Parliament. I see my role as an advocate. Now I've got more people's mobile phone numbers, that's for sure, and more ability to knock on a minister's door than I did as the adult industry. However, that training in the adult industry really taught me how to advocate in a way that used humour, that tried not to use ego, and certainly... We, we would never threaten, which I think is sometimes the go-to strategy for a lot of industry groups, saying, if you don't do this, then we'll do this. Yeah, or boycotts or something. How easy is advocacy if you haven't got cash to donate to a party? Fortunately, I don't think anyone really wanted our money. <laughs> so, you know, there was a few instances where, and in we talk a bit about that in the book, where people did accept our cash. However, we had to really argue our points on what was good for the state and what was good for the community. You know, having spent the last few years sitting alongside members of parliament, most of them are there for that reason. If you can present a a problem and present a solution, you are probably going to get an ear and people are going to listen to you. Certainly, you know, I was facing a lot of the religious discrimination and certainly all of the baggage that came with that 
particularly around the adult industry and the idea that, you know, sex was shameful and, and the depiction of it. Do you think you're going to lay off any more now you've gone for the reason party? I mean, it's a difficult sell reason. And I've got to say, I do like the fact that you're also big for prisoners' rights as well. Are there any votes in prisoners' rights? Prisoners are allowed to vote if they have been sentenced for less than five years. Where I argue this is, what is the point of sending people to prison, but non-violent criminals, sending them to prison where that increases their chances of committing an offence by 200%. So they are now two times more likely to commit a crime if they have been to jail. I hope that that reason and that argument can get some traction, that it's a terribly expensive way of creating more criminals and more crime. A far cheaper way of doing it would be not sending people to prison and looking at rehabilitation and therefore reducing crime. What about privatisation of the prison system, which has been very popular in the US, and we have a bit of that going on here. That is almost working against putting people in jail because, well, you know, you've got to make a profit if you don't have anyone in jail. And your return customer is the best one. So, yes, why would you rehabilitate someone? You're doing yourself in. You want them to come back. Of course you want them to come back. I have great difficulties with the way we are are evaluating and assessing the success mm. of our private prisons. So and I doing the fiscal study of it. We shouldn't pay them if the person comes back. If we're paying them per prisoner, if that prisoner comes back, let's look at strategies where we don't have prisoners coming back. And speaking of spending money, when can I go to the chemist and buy myself a gram of Coke legally? When will that be possible? Probably not this year, I'm oh, afraid, well, man. Not this year. Yeah, <laughs> not this year. Give me time to save up. Absolutely. You know, I think it will still be just as expensive, but maybe of a slightly better quality than you're getting now. Fair enough. Again, a lot of politicians like euthanasia, the drug debate of any sort, even decriminalising, let alone legalising, is just something that there's a brick wall in front of. They see that the voters will just go berserk if they try this. Same with safe injecting rooms. Isn't it remarkable? When we did assisted dying, and the reason we did that, and this is part of this notion of growing from a lobbyist into this role, is that you bring the community with you. And that was what we always learned, that we did our community attitude polling, we had that research, and that's what we took to the politicians and we got the community behind us. The supervised injecting centre, it was the community that was demanding it. It was the ambulance drivers, it was the paramedics, it was the Salvation Army. It was all of these people demanding it and the politicians eventually caught up. We've seen it in marriage equality. The community had moved to here and the governments and politicians were still five steps behind them. I think it's the same with drugs. I saw you having a leadership tussle with yourself out the front of the Victorian <laughs> Parliament where you're looking at yourself in the mirror when all that was going on. What do you as a politician see when you see them having that ideological fight that the Liberals were having there? All I see them doing is being completely absorbed in themselves. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's like they don't think anyone's looking. It's this extraordinary narcissism on a group level. They think that they are far more important than the policies that might help improve our community. We spent weeks nine months talking about leadership, talking about who's backstabbing who, who's doing this, and no one was actually talking about how do we get our electricity prices down? How do we address climate change? School is here on the Victorian situation. How is your power situation there? And what is the balance of the upper house like? Are you a deciding vote or is it what you vote doesn't matter because there's a few other on the other side? I have been fortunate to be in a balance of power position. So the government has needed my vote on the vast majority 
validity of the legislation. Generally, when they're doing mandatory sentencing or lock up all criminals, okay. they get the support of the Liberal Party, so they don't need my vote, right. which is lucky because I wouldn't be supporting them. On many other areas, they have needed my vote. And that's enabled me to be able to nudge them forward in other areas, whether that's assisted dying or injecting centres, drug reform, electoral reform, etc. Our electricity, we've got a, a government that really is moving to renewables. Our whole tram system is now run on solar power. Oh, State, what happens at night? Apparently we've got these things called batteries. Oh, right. Our whole tram system is now powered right. by solar. Have you, you know, seen the Sydney one? They haven't even finished it. They don't have to worry about powering it because it's not finished. Yeah. And I believe it's going to be another few years well, before Well, there's a few legal challenges it. which have come up and really we don't know. And I, I haven't seen George Street now for three years. I think no, you're not has. going to see it for another three years, oh, okay. I believe. I, I heard. And of course, China has now moved ahead with the railless tram. So oh, okay. in actual fact, they're well, just rolling out trams. Well, what annoys me is that uh, no one told me that they're different gauges. So the existing tram is a different gauge that ends at Haymarket and the rest is a different gauge. So that you'll never be able to take a tram from out west without changing at Haymarket every time, no matter where you're going. There's a different gauge. I thought we got over that when New South Wales and Queensland did the railways. I mean, someone should have thought, oh, is there a converter? I can't believe that a civil engineer would let that happen. Politician made a slip up there. It and sounds they, like politicians making decisions that mm. they really are not equipped to make. And I also think this really is one of my bugbears is that there's no future planning. We plan in a four-year cycle. It's funny, but everyone thinks there is. It really does. For my sin, I'm on the... Parliament Accounts and Estimates Committee. Oh, the uh, Federal Estimates Committee is always asking questions like, why do you say rude words on Triple J? Or they'll ask something about someone's budget. So have you got the power to bring anybody in there who gets state money and go, you, 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 bad person? Not quite. Oh. Yeah, not to the same degree. But what we do is that we have oversight of the budget in a way that every minister can come before us. We can ask questions of them. Of course, that's not what happens. The government members of the party just say, Minister, can you please explain how great we are? Oh. And then the opposition, the education minister, will be asked about a supervised injecting centre, for example, because it might be near a school. It's not a terribly effective way. But the budget, when I look at those papers, the performance measures are 12 months, maybe two years if you're lucky. There's no kind of forward performance measures. There's no forward objectives of what this we hope to going to happen with the power grid. People haven't, well, they've privatised the power grid and so that's for someone else to do now because they don't want to plan to build another power station of any sort. That's right. When our national anthem was written, one in 25 people was over 60. In our lifetime, it will be one in four. And Victoria which is the budget I know, 40% of our budget already goes to health. So what are we going to do in 20 years' time? How are we going to cost that? How are we going to provide health? And just as a fiscal thing, and what is the major income for the state? Mainly land tax. Land tax and gambling tax. Oh, gambling, of yeah, course, right. Gambling's always a good one. Did you um, get the alcohol as well? No, the federal government gets the alcohol. Generally, it's land tax that's our, our biggest... Um, so if you were selling perhaps marijuana and taxing it, there might be some income there for the state. Wouldn't that be interesting? Wouldn't and that be interesting? I'd and in fact, what we have seen all over the world, Oregon, Denver, where cannabis or even medicinal cannabis is legalised, opioid overdoses go down, opioid prescriptions go down, the cost of health goes down. From an ep economic perspective, it makes complete sense. From a health perspective, it makes even more sense. And from a revenue perspective, 
we could do this through a licensing scheme. I mean, mm. Victoria, could we could be the mull bowl of Australia. One thing I imagine being a politician that I would never want to do is that you've got a lot of people annoying you all the time. You constituents are always annoying you about stuff and often you can't do much about it so there'd be yes you'd be getting all these questions but you can't do anything doesn't that get a bit frustrating sometimes it gets frustrating as an upper house member there's kind of a trajectory so someone has a problem they go to their local government government doesn't fix it they go to their local member local members doesn't fix it they might go to their federal local member doesn't fix it then they come to their upper house oh, regional it's, member. It's definitely a real problem by the time it gets to By the time it, you know, sometimes I'm able to do things. And I think what I've also been able to do is, particularly through industry associations and, and different groups, okay. I've been able to broker a middle path. I've learned so much and I've met so many industry groups. When they come to me with an issue with a piece of legislation, what's the solution to that? And quite often it's very simple hopefully get the government or the opposition to agree to amendments to the legislation. And I've been able to do that on a relatively regular basis. It means I'm learning about a whole range of stuff I never thought I would know about. So who's a great role model as a politician for you? I imagine one would not be Henry Kissinger. Who would be one of your politicians who go, that's a person who's doing a good job? Hillary, maybe? Hillary, maybe. A bit cold. I- That's right. Elizabeth Warren? When the lobbyists came in, we had a rule in my office that when the lobbyists came in, if they hadn't given me any money, I didn't see them. If they'd given me money, then maybe I talked to them. And that's what's gone wrong in Washington. That is a Washington that's working for the lobbyists and not working for the Americans. My go-to at the moment, Jacinda Ardern, New Zealand Prime Minister. We see no benefit for tit-for-tat trade wars. So for us, we'll keep pushing hard around really abiding by those trade rules. I'm starting up a campaign that I actually want Victoria to grow. I want us to buy Tasmania and adopt New Zealand. And I think Victoria would be, it would be beautiful if we could have Jacinda that would be just great the way she has dealt with things with compassion she hasn't put herself at the front of things she's more interested in what her constituents and what her community wants and I think she's a really great role model and I think Helen Clark before her was another one who didn't take that kind of combative nature that so many men take into their politics. She has done that very well. I think Justin Trudeau is is very handsome. He's a hottie. And then he went and legalised marijuana. He's another good model of a modern politician. You look at his um, cabinet and he puts the best person for the job into that job. Wow, there's a thought. Normal computers work uh, either there's power going through a wire or not. It's one or a zero. They're binary systems. What quantum states allow for is much more complex information to be encoded into a single bit. The less religion has to do with our politics, the better, Mm. as we know. The one exception for that is when I become a politician, I have to write what my interests are and and if they might impact. So Snooker. Well, snooker, I I have to say I'm a member of the Swans. Hang on, that's not a good thing in Victoria to say that, but is it? Actually, it is in my region because I have six AFL clubs in my region, so I go for the Sydney team. Good idea, Um, yeah. We have to put up those interests, whether we hold shares in certain companies. I want them all to tell me what church they go to. Tell me what religion they support. It's all very well telling me what football club you support. But more often than not, your decisions around certain legislation, whether it's around religious freedom or whether it's around assisted dying, is actually heavily influenced by 
the religion that is ostensibly guiding you. Well, a Muslim or a Catholic, you could probably take a guess at what the, how they might go on certain issues. That's yeah. right. I want them to declare that, what church they belong to, rather than their football affiliations. The influence of religion is still so deeply ingrained and permissible in our parliaments that mm. that's got to change and it's got to be called out. You are big on freedom of speech. What should the limits on freedom of speech be the way we've got them now? We have people complaining because they don't like a cartoon in the paper these days, but that's a form of expression, although it might be offensive to some people. What's the limit? We have the, the right to robust debate, but I think if we are inciting violence, that's probably where you call it in. With a reason party, people have, oh, I think less immigration is reasonable. People could say, I think any immigration is reasonable. You have people arguing like that. Yeah. Again, so let's go back to the research. Let's go back to evidence. You're calling for evidence-based <laughs> policies <laughs> no. here. No. Okay. No. People call me radical, <laughs> but I think it's reasonable that we look at the evidence. There's so many things that, that we could do if we were willing to speak from a definitely from an evidence-based centre. No, at the moment I'm worried about social isolation. I think, you know, with an ageing society, we have no ageing strategy and we have more and more people living alone and the only company they have is their television, which they generally can yell at. Yeah, and some of them can't even watch the Bolt Report because it's on Foxtel too. <laughs> and that's great fun to yell at. <laughs> this show could potentially be a lot more funny and entertaining and still keep the right-wing balance he's got, but he just like he's just like he's giving a lecture on telly and it's a boring piece of television to watch. No, Maynard, yeah, yeah. if he could just smile and laugh lighten once, up. lighten up. Like, yeah, what about those greens? Hey, do a couple of greens jokes and get on with his policy. Nah, none of that. In fact, he could keep to the exact same script yes. but just add a bit of canned laughter yep. um, in a couple of the pauses and everyone go, that is really funny. Exactly. And his right-wing friends would agree with him. Yeah. In fact, I was actually at Sky on Thursday and ran into him and Christopher Pine. What a double act. Andrew was saying, I'm not going to go hard on you, Minister. It's going to be a very friendly, friendly interview. I, I would have loved to have seen how friendly that interview was. Wow. I, I think you're right. Bolt is a comedian. Because you're also known for the, some of the uh, great debates you've done on Sunrise with various people over the years, which also raised your profile a great deal. Yeah. And you were arguing from a reason standpoint on that as well, where their argument was, well, you're with the sex party, you are bad. That was pretty much their argument. That was pretty much it. And I think the other argument is the world should be G-rated. Adults should be allowed to be yeah, adults there's that, there's that. at the moment. You know, we're still focusing our, on protecting the churches that didn't protect the children. You know, I've been calling for the taxation of religious businesses. And, oh, my goodness, you know, you'd think I was... Satan. You're doing the yes, Satan work. you'd think I was Satan. Because that's their business model. And it's becoming more and more their business model, which is really interesting because now that people aren't going to church, they're now having to turn into business entities themselves because they don't have a c congregation. To maintain their level of income, to maintain their level of power, they are now going into business and they are competing against other businesses who are paying tax, mm. who are having to abide by discrimination laws, who have, are having to abide by all of the laws of our country. And then you have these religious businesses who don't have to abide by any of it. Some lifestyle advice here. I've met a lot of people that think they should get into the adult industry at various levels, be it from a sex worker through to the porn industry. And I say, look, the money is good. It's pretty exciting industry in many ways to be in, but there's a psychological price you sort of pay for having that sort of contact with people. What, what would you advise people who are thinking of getting into that industry? No one's ever going to ask me. Any sex worker will know that the vast majority of the work they do is not sex. 
it's listening, it's forming a relationship with someone, albeit for an hour, but it's forming that relationship with someone. And that, that can be draining and you need to look after yourselves for that. But I think it's also incredibly rewarding that you get to meet this vast diversity of people who generally let their egos go when they're paying for sex. I used to field a lot of calls from people when I was with Eros about I'd like to get into the adult industry, mm. particularly men. Because they think it's just going to be a chick fest. That's right. I am a stud. My girlfriend tells me so. <laughs> so I'm thinking I'm going to take it professional. And I do tend to suggest that those people just don't give up the day job while they experiment there. What I have always found and what I know from for most people in the adult industry, the work that you do is the easy part. It's telling people what you do that's the difficult part. And it's the judgment and the discrimination and the stigma that is outside your industry that is probably the most hurtful and probably the most difficult to deal with as a career. Will the Reason Party be fielding candidates around Australia at the next federal election or have they got laws against you once again to stop you doing that like they did with the sex party? Yes, right. This time I think we've beaten them at their own game. So Reason will be fielding candidates across Australia. We've kept all of the policies that we had a sex party we've just grown on those so i would hope there will be people around australia who want to see reasonable people entering into parliament that don't necessarily come from those traditional backgrounds of pole science at university working in an electorate office or working in a union so i'm talking about tanya plibersek at this point aren't you (laughs) well (laughs) she's she's a very good politician but that's exactly her trajectory that's right and so many of them that was their trajectory i hope reason is one of those parties that can bring a more reflective voice of our society. And I think we're getting really sick and tired of the cookie-cut type of politician that the major parties are presenting for us, and generally men still. The greatest issue, the greatest problem facing Victoria, and if you get re-elected to the upper house, what are you going to do about hipsters in Northcote? They're riding around on penny-farthing bicycles. They're wearing pith helmets. Uh, Really, it's getting a bit out of control. Hipsters in Northcote, what are you going to do, Fiona Patton? Well, some of it is beyond my control and, you know, I'm, I'm all for people expressing themselves in whatever way they can. Sadly, for many of those hipsters, they can no longer afford yes. to live in Northcote. So, so what's the next suburb? Well, I know we're seeing hipsters in Reservoir, which I can tell you. Oh, that's not going to end well. That there is a bit of scratching of heads in, in Reservoir. I, you know, the hipsters of Northcote, they're ageing, I'm afraid to say, Maynard. As they get older, they're moving to Reservoir, they're moving to Preston, they're moving to Pasco Vale. And Pasco Vale? Pasco Vale, yeah. <laughs> Fiona, it's been great talking to you. And if people want to find out more about the Reason Party or, indeed, they can read your book, uh, Sex, Drugs and Electoral Roll, to find out what you're all about easily, where's the website they can get in contact with you, find out more about the party or even start an argument with you, like a lot of people seem to like doing? Don't you love an online argument? There's few things as futile as an argument on Facebook. No one is ever going to thank you if you correct them. I often started writing something. A friend the other day got a, a tattoo I didn't like at all. I started writing and I thought, who is going to thank me for pointing out that that's maybe not a great tattoo and I could be wrong anyway? Maybe what we all need to have is a little check saying, would you say this to their face? Is this something you would say to a friend when you're sitting across from them? If it's not, then don't say it on Facebook. Reason.org.au. You can find everything about us and you can yell at us all you like. If you were getting married today, would you still choose Rock Lobster by the B-52s or would you you go with some right right said friends, something a bit more classic and romantic? 
<laughs> Rock Lobster, or um, If You Leave Me, Can I Come Too. I love that song. What do you think is one of the funniest, most amusing adult films out there. There's one I like called Saving Humanity from 2015. It stars James Dean and Riley Reid. It's all about time travel and it has a song at the end that's just awful. A go-to <laughs> funny movie. Is there a funny one you think's worth watching for... for it's, a, it's a real D-grade one. Um, one of my favourites was the spoof on... Who was the Alaskan woman who was running oh, for... Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin. Nalen Palin. That's a classic. <laughs> a certain state attorney general... Always used to like the ones with the um, fanny farts. That's very specific. It was very specific, and I used to find it hilarious that that's what he used to laugh at. But Nayland Palin, top film. Thank you, Fiona Patton. Thank you. Good luck with Reason. I know it's a hard slog, but good luck with it. Thank you, Maynard. On maynard.com.au. AU! Bryson and Hume. Everything digital.